0: For a while last year, buying a house was like Game of Thrones. Without all the murder, of course. The pandemic fueled a home-buying frenzy, as many were desperate to trade in urban life for suburban spaces, surrounded by nature, and spurred on by very low mortgage rates. But there weren't enough homes on the market. Demand was so intense that homebuilders had to get creative.
1: They started having these elaborate lotteries.
0: That's Connor Doherty. He writes about housing for the New York Times. He's recounting a story about Eric and Jezreeline Namayan who were ready to buy a new five bedroom home in River Islands, California. They had the money for a down payment. They were pre-qualified for a mortgage. Typically, that's all you'd need in the new home market. Buyers don't usually go through bidding wars, but in this case, they weren't the only ones who wanted the house. So the developer did something really unusual.
1: They were one of, I think, a dozen or something, families that had been qualified to buy. So then the builder said, "Okay, we're going to have like a Zoom lottery."
0: All the potential buyers crowded on a Zoom call with their hopes resting on winning the lottery. For the Namians, the magic number was thirty-two.
1: On the screen is a salesperson in the dream home on a, like a marble countertop, and they have some sort of like lotto ball thing and all these numbers are you know jiggling around in the in the in the like turning ball and then they pull out like this is who wins the right to buy this you know five or six hundred thousand dollar home or whatever it was and it's like 32 and and they start crying and you know
0: we get the house that was a year ago These days, the real estate market in the U.S. is in a very different place.
1: Now we are in a situation where interest rates are rising. People are pulling out of deals rather than having lotteries to get in them. And one thing that is freaking a lot of people out is that they're seeing homes sell for less than their agreed-to purchase price. Right? So you agree to buy a home for $500,000, and then you see that a similar home has just sold for four sixty, And then mentally you're like, well, I just lost
0: $40,000. A boom-bust cycle in real estate isn't new in the U.S., but the current one highlights a long-festering problem. There aren't enough affordable homes for everyone who needs one. When the economy is booming, like it was last year, developers build houses, but not enough of them. So values go up and bidding wars ensue pricing people out of homes they otherwise could afford. Then, when the economy slows down, as it's doing now, people have less cash, and developers have less incentive to keep building. The shortage remains. Freddie Mac estimates that there's a shortage of about three to four million homes in the U.S. So today on the show, what is the solution to the housing shortage in the United States? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. The housing market today looks a lot different now than it did a year ago. The Federal Reserve just raised interest rates again, which is expected to slow down the market even more. People are paying less for these new homes. Deals are slowing down. In some areas, open houses are empty and bidding wars are a thing of the past. To hear Connor explain it, there's a simple reason.
1: Pure and simple, interest rates. Interest rates are way up. So interest rates have jumped from I think, you know, three-ish at the beginning of the year to close to six, it's five-something. That's like hundreds of dollars a month. And it's not just that it's hundreds of dollars a month. It's hundreds of dollars a month on top of this massive gain in prices, which is, of course, hundreds more dollars a month. And eventually, people just run out. People do blink. At some point, you can't keep going up.
0: And we should note, like, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, which is why mortgage rates went up, they wanted to cool off the economy, and part of the economy is cooling off the, the housing market. This was—what's happening now is intentional. This is what, you know, Fed Chair Jerome Powell wanted to happen, right?
1: Exactly. And I hesitate to speak for the Fed. Yeah. But I'm going to try a little bit.
0: <laughs> Please.
1: I think in their heart of hearts, if they could slow down price growth but keep homes being built, if there were some way to engineer that, which there isn't because interest rates are a pretty blunt tool, I think they would wish for that. Right. Like if you could cool off prices but keep everybody working and keep production happening and keep building happening, people would want that. Right. People still want homes to be built, but they want the crazy bidding wars to slow. And the pickle here is, and as we're going to discuss, is how do you make that happen? How do you keep building so that we don't make our housing shortage worse in the future while at the same time cooling off these crazy price increases that we can all agree are unsustainable?
0: Yeah, and that's the pickle at the heart of, of everything and the heart of the the piece you wrote in the New York Times, which is that the market's cooling, the, b- the bidding wars are going away, but that means the builders are going to pack up and go home and stop building houses, and we have a housing shortage in the United States still. Can you talk about the housing shortage and sort of how we got here to it?
1: So we have a long-running housing shortage in the United States. I was born in 1977, and people were writing articles and books about America's housing shortage in 1975, so before I was born.
0: Oh my god!
1: In I believe 77 or 78, Time Magazine had a cover story that said, like, I think it said "Sky High Housing," and it had a picture of like a it's like a, like an illustration of like a house floating away from a young couple. <laughs> and all the things we sort of hear about: oh, people are having fewer children because homes are so expensive, and people are. Delaying marriage or moving to different places, everything like minus Zoom (laughs) was like the same. Right. Right. And I think that at times we've papered over that either with a temporary economic boom or with um, migrations to other places where homes were built cheaper. And of course, during the big financial crisis, we essentially tried to make homes quote unquote cheaper by making the financing of them. Really exotic, <laughs> yeah. such that anybody could get them. So we but we've never really tried to address this problem at its root, which is there just like aren't enough homes.
0: Even before the pandemic hit, sending Americans around the country scrambling for more square footage, the US was short about 3.8 million housing units. And this lack of supply drives up demand, pushing up prices, and putting homeownership out of reach for many.
1: This leads to the thicket of policy questions that are zoning and land use regulations, which is the stuff of local city council meetings. But generally speaking, we make it really hard to build different kinds of housing in the United States.
0: Zoning laws in the suburbs and cities where people want to live tend to be fairly strict and complex, often favoring large master-planned communities of single-family homes. Or in cities, think massive condo buildings.
1: But there aren't a lot of like duplexes and triplexes and you know, cute little six-unit buildings. Right. There isn't a lot of that. And whenever you do see that, it's often in an old neighborhood, meaning it's something that was built a long time ago, and it's often illegal to build more of something like that. And so, this kind of like light density is what we lack. And I think that makes it harder to increase our housing supply. And we have made it very difficult to satisfy the need for housing. And as we were leading up to, one of the really vicious things that happens is housing is a very boom bust market.
0: I was thinking about the chart of um, new home construction. And if you if you pull back the time series, it really surged in the time leading up to the financial crisis because builders were finally like, oh, wow, we can really sell homes and they're going for a lot of money and, you know, exotic mortgages, whatever. Like, this is great. You can buy one even yeah. if you have no income. Yeah, who cares? The so-called
1: ninja loan. No income, no job or assets. Yes.
0: But- um, and then after the financial crisis, builders were like, Oh, my God. I mean, I remember all the articles from back then of these... Back
1: when we were colleagues.
0: Yes, back when we were colleagues at the Journal. And there were all the articles that you wrote and Nick, all these people wrote about the empty um, housing developments in the exurbs that no one wanted to move to anymore. And they were gross and, you know, swimming pools were empty and blah, blah, blah. And if you look at the chart, like the builders never really ramped back up until like last year. And now, if I'm to understand your reporting, they're ramping back down again. (laughs) Like, we're never going to catch up.
1: As you were saying, like, housing is this really boom-bust market. And I suppose in booms, that's okay, right? Because we're satisfying a lot of housing demand. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, during the bust, it's not like housing demand totally falls off a cliff. It's just the builders aren't able to build it for the profit margins they want and things like that, right? Yeah. Housing is this totally fragmented industry where you, ha- you can have developers who sort of spend years or decades planning projects and getting financing for them and getting government approval for them. And then you have all the way down to day laborers who are hired by the hour. And to get all those different pieces to kind of you know orchestrate together, if you will, Mm-hmm. You, you need a boom, right? And the problem is when there's a bust, they all just scatter. The home builders stop building housing and they lay off construction workers who of course then need to find another job and might go find a completely other industry. So everyone scatters, but they can't just like put it all back together easily. Mm-hmm. That worker has gone and found another profession and might be doing better there or might live in a different place. The architect might've moved on to different kinds of projects. The person who builds lots that home builders then build on, they might not have built as many lots because demand was so low. It's just there's so many different longer term things that have to be kind of churning along. And when those slow down, it takes a really long time to start them back up. And so the housing shortage is in many ways kind of a product of how much we underbuild during these bus. Hmm. In, In many ways, our housing shortage isn't a product of the homes we aren't building today. It's all the homes we forgot to build a decade ago.
0: When we come back, is there a way to make up for those homes we didn't build a decade ago?
1: Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode to the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show.
2: There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know,
0: there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok.
2: This is going to be really fun. I'm very
1: excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now.
0: <laughs> so is that the question? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, reading everything you've written and just thinking about this for a long time, like nothing I've read really points to a world where this problem gets solved. <laughs> like I was on a call with White House officials, and they were talking about, you know, what they were going to do for affordable housing using money that was in the American Rescue oh, God. Plan.
1: I think I, I think I was on that call.
0: Yeah, and it was like none of it seemed significant. It just seemed like they're going to fund, you know, a project here, a project there, but fundamentally nothing's, nothing's changing. Like there's nothing coming. Like if you think back to the new deal, (laughs) um, the federal government created the suburbs. They created this dilemma. They created back then like a housing boom, but I don't, there's not, that's not coming this time. There's, they're not going to. Are they? Is something coming from the government and regulation? Something.
1: So it's it's crazy to think about, but we had a crazy housing shortage after World War II. Mm-hmm. There were stories of people living in chicken coops. Um, I think in New York, someone, a couple, famously, um, like lived in like a department store window what? for 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 like a a day to publicize their apartment search. And then as you sort of pointed out through a ton of government action, the rate of housing production like exploded. We we're building something like hundred thousand homes a year. And then it was like a million within like three or four years. So you're right. There have been times when, when we have had, especially relative to the population, mm-hmm. insane building booms, the likes of which are just sort of inconceivable in our current industrial structure, where this led me to, (laughs) is that one way or the other, and I I try not to be ideological about this, somebody has to backstop the so-called counter-cyclical demand, meaning building homes when it's not profitable to do so. And in many other countries, that is a public function. Sometimes it's a public bank. Sometimes it's just public housing whatever you want to call it. And so around the country, a lot of people have started, this is really just at the legislative level, Mm -hmm. kind of revisiting this idea of public housing.
0: Once considered the province of lower-income Americans, the idea of public housing is getting a new look in some regions, like Colorado and California, where state governments are coming up with ways to finance homes for middle-income people.
1: Obviously, it's getting rebranded as social housing, or it's, there, there's a whole bunch of different ways people are talking about it than how we think of public housing. Either way, it's sort of saying, can the government step in and through either loan programs or just building it themselves, try to keep builders building or just fund nonprofits who would do whatever. There, there, there's a, all sorts of different ways to do it, but they all sort of amount to... How do you keep people employed and keep construction going so that we don't develop these shortages from downturns? I don't really see another way around it. There are all these things governments do to try to make life easier for people who can't afford housing. We have Section 8 vouchers. There are rent control at local levels, right? Mm -hmm. But all those measures don't really do that much if the supply isn't also being dealt with. If you give a bunch of people who can't afford a home money to afford a home, and there's 10 of them, and then there's one home, I guess it's great that you've, that, that you've actually helped those folks. But if there's still only one home, nine of them aren't that much better off.
0: For too long, the federal government's been focused on demand, helping people pay for houses, but without much thought about how many houses would actually get built.
1: So having a better control over the supply and having some sort of way to be asking the question, not just how much does housing afford, but do we have enough of it? And if we don't, how do we keep producing it? I think that that's the question we need to start asking. And we just basically don't ask that question. Nobody is ever asked that question. They kind of just go, well, there's a building boom. Great. There's not a building boom. Well, that's because nobody wants to buy housing right now. Like Nobody ever goes, Like how much housing do we need? So someone has to find some way to build those units. And until we start asking that question, how many of those do we need and how do we build them? And if someone won't do it, we're just going to pay for it as a government or whatever. Until something like that happens, I just really don't see this getting quote-unquote solved.
0: But what do we do when builders don't want to build homes? The federal government is usually the big mover when it comes to big problems. So I asked Connor, is this something that happens at the national level? Turns out, not really.
1: The federal government, I should say, has all sorts of power over housing through the FHA. Um, you know, Fannie Freddie are technically private companies, but they have this implicit government guarantee, and that creates a large market for mortgages. Mm-hmm. So there are all these like large-scale financial things they can do and have done, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to where is housing going to get built, what is that housing going to look like? Who is going to live there? Meaning, what is the house likely to cost? Is that going to be near a dump or a, or a lovely park, right? All those questions are basically adjudicated by city councils and or county governments. Right. And the only people who really have control over them are states. So cities need to either, and this has happened, you know, either decide they want to build more housing. Critique of that view is that developers build housing, cities don't build housing. But my point is they have to either make it easier to build housing. Right. Or the states, which is what's happening in California, can just like make them do it. (laughs) Or they can start writing more liberal zoning laws and more liberal land use laws for them. Now that's a very controversial move because housing and housing supply has always been, has historically been the province of local government. Mm -hmm. And if you go to a city council meeting, essentially all they talk about is housing and land use. So when it comes to this question of where are we actually going to build it and what's it going to look like, I think that is by and large a local question. I think that the federal government can give them a bunch of money, but that's about it.
0: That is extremely discouraging hearing you talk about it because it's a nationwide housing shortage with a fundamental mismatch between private industry and public demand and public good. And the idea that it's going to get solved on the local level, like city council meeting by city council meeting, seems improbable.
1: Yeah, I go back and forth on this. On the one hand, it would be nice to think that a bunch of people could show up to Congress and finally shake hands and cross the aisle or whatever. I'm being silly and optimistic, but right. And then say, we've solved the housing crisis. Here, we're going to do it. Right. Mm -hmm on the one hand that sounds great on the other hand i'm not sure it's necessarily appropriate for like people in washington to be like writing zoning codes don't get me wrong that would never really happen but they could do i guess you could do incentive things you can use the power of the purse in to to get legislative outcomes you want
0: any bottom line here connor are we going to see the housing shortage go away in our lifetimes I think that's up
1: to the next generation. The one thing I've noticed, and this is predating this pandemic thing we're talking about and the specifics of the housing market right now, is that a lot of younger people have kind of absorbed this idea that we have a housing problem and we need more of it. Now, sometimes you'll see people who are more lefty being like, uh, this is why we need social housing and profit is all bad and blah, 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 blah. And then you will see people who are more libertarian-ish and or moderate-ish being like, no, this is why we need less regulation. And, you know, we're making it impossible to build. Um, But if you just sort of step away from that argument and go, wow, they're fundamentally agreeing on this thing. Oh, we need to make it like much easier to build housing and we need more of it. And the people who say we shouldn't be building because it will like harm the neighborhood, they're like... Sort of our common enemy. I feel like that shift generationally and the sort of absorbing of that value will turn out to be long term very important.
0: Connor Doherty, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Connor Doherty writes about housing for the New York Times. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Anna Phillips and Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We will be back Sunday with another episode. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.